Mark 14, verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Jumping down to verse 66. Peter disowns Jesus. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said to them again, to those standing around them, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I'd like to turn your Bibles again back to our passage in Mark 14. I haven't got any slides for this, so if you've got a Bible, you may need to refer to it and follow along. Please do turn back to Mark 14. Um, last week, Dav took us through the verses 53 to 65 and gave us some, some good challenges. Are we following close to Jesus or are we hanging back following a distance like Peter did? Are we a, a, are we a, a secret disciple like Peter was, denying our faith in public? Do we use sanctified common sense sometimes and avoid getting into situations where we may compromise ourselves, situations where we may have to be, where we might be challenged, where we might feel obliged to defend ourselves? Compromising situations. He also talked about Jesus in that trial um, and suggested that sometimes silence is wise, as Jesus was silent before his accusers. When we're accused and slandered, sometimes silence can be a soothing calm. And Dav concluded by saying that one day, Jesus will come and make everything right, and he will bring about perfect justice. Perfect justice. So now this week, we come to the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave him just a few hours earlier, which we heard in our first part of the reading, verses 27 to 31 of Mark 14. Just going to read it again, verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster, or the cockerel, crows twice. You yourself will disown me three times. 
But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the others said the same. When I look at Peter, I see someone so typically human. I wonder, could I have done any different? Peter is, is rash in his oath, but repentant in his shame, and yet unyielding, ultimately, in his faith. This fisherman from a remote northern province of Galilee, how did he find himself here at the fireside in the courtyard of the chief priest, the chief persecutor of Jesus, the one Peter said he would never abandon? Well, to explore this passage in verse 66 to 72 in Mark 14, we really need to see the beginning from the end, or the end from the beginning. We need to remind ourselves of how he got himself into this mess, but also see how he got out of it. And that, my friends, should give us some encouragement, because whatever mess we get ourselves into, Jesus will provide a way out. But Peter had to go on this journey, if you like, in order to become the man he will be, to become that great apostle that founded the church, to be the rock, as Jesus described him, the the rock on which the church would be built. So my first point really today is about the human condition, the human condition. Peter is famous in the Gospels as being a bit of a, a firebrand, but also brilliant at times and terrible at others. He made a serious oath when he said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. A bit of a rash statement. We have to be very careful about making rash statements. What motivated him, do you think, to follow the crowd that arrested Jesus? To follow at a distance and to go into the courtyard? What do you think was motivating him? All the other disciples had run away. And perhaps even now, they'd met up again in that upper room. Perhaps that's where they'd retreated to, to rendezvous. Perhaps they were wondering, what do we do next? Perhaps they were weeping. Perhaps they were praying. Maybe someone asked, where's Peter? Did they exchange anxious looks? And I don't know. In the dark and confusion, I didn't see what happened to him. Or maybe another said, I saw him creeping out of the garden. And he was following the guards in the direction of the city. Were they thinking, well, let's wait here until he comes back. He can tell us about what's happening, maybe. Come back with some news. It's all speculation, but it gives a little feel for the drama of the night. We don't know what happened in those hours when the disciples ran off. We only know about what Peter did. But why did he go? Personally, I think he was a bit of a, a torn, tormented individual. They've taken Jesus. I can't just go away. I need to know what's happening. But also, he's fearful for his own security. If I just creep in and hang about, maybe I'll find out what's happening without getting myself arrested. Maybe I can then take some news back to others. Maybe I can just... I just want to know what's happening, but not expose myself. It's a bit like, perhaps, like an anxious relative pacing up and down in the waiting room while a a loved one is going through an operation in the room next door. These feelings may be something like what Peter's going through, except that an anxious relative outside an operating theatre is there with the approval of the hospital and the doctors, and their motivation is quite different to Peter. Peter is there as an imposter, if you like. He's in the enemy's camp by the fireside, gathering with the enemy's troops. 
What would you have done if you'd been one of those disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? Would you have run? Would you hide? Would you follow? Or would you throw yourself in front of Jesus and say, if you're arresting him, you've got to take me too. I think at my best, I probably would have followed at a distance, like Peter. And would you stand up for Jesus now? If someone in your office or your family or your school, neighbour or wherever, if someone's sharing a stupid joke about Jesus or taking his name in vain, will you run, hide, smile awkwardly and titter and say nothing? Inwardly groaning, Lord, what do I do? I look back now as a Christian of some 20 years or so and I think, I think it gets harder as you go along. There is a tendency for that fire in your, in your belly to dim, for the light to fade, for complacency and weariness to creep in. When you're first saved, you're full of energy and burning enthusiasm and you want to, to tell everyone about the change in your life. And we have to work to maintain that as we go along. There is a song by uh, uh, Andre Crouch. It's quite an old song, no, some, some of you may know it. And the lyrics go like this. Take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to where I first believed. And I feel that, I feel like I'm so far from you, Lord, but I still hear you calling me. Those simple things that I once knew, their memories keep drawing me. I must confess, Lord, I've been blessed, but yet my soul's not satisfied. Renew my faith, restore my joy, and dry my weeping eyes. And this is the first lesson for us today. We need to pray every day for this. Take me back, dear Lord Jesus. Take me back to the place where I was when I first received and first believed. If you like, in that song we sang earlier, where I was lost in wonder, love and praise. Maybe, maybe you, like I, need to find our courage again, to find our love again for the Lord Jesus, to stand up again and, and not be shut down or dampened or ashamed of the gospel, the gospel in which we stand, which is celebrated when we take this communion. If we take this communion, surely we should be willing to stand up for the gospel. The Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote this, looking at this passage many years ago. He said, Those that are shy of Christ are in a fair way to deny him. That are shy of attending on holy ordinances, shy of communion of that faithful, of the faithful, and loath to be seen in the side of the despised godliness. That is a terrible indictment, and I fear it may be true of me sometimes. Am I loath to be seen on the side of despised godliness? Godliness. I pray not. We don't want that to be true of us, do we? Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. So what happens to Peter? It's a bit like being at the shooting gallery in an arcade or at a fairground. You know, you pay a couple of pounds and you get a little air rifle. Imagine three little metal targets, beaten up metal targets, stood at the back there. Um, verse 66 says this, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. 
You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. What's interesting here, actually, is this girl is a servant, and in that culture at the time, should not have even been speaking to him as a man, unless perhaps she took him for a slave. Maybe in something about his appearance, maybe he looked a bit rough and ready, and uh, I don't know, maybe his dress, maybe she thought he must be a slave. But, but how does she recognize him? Here's a question. How did she recognize him? Was she in the crowd that went to arrest Jesus in the garden? Unlikely. Did she see him in the temple courts over the preceding days or in the city streets with Jesus walking around? Did she see him among um, the crowd while Jesus was preaching over that Passion Week, as we call it? Quite probably. This begs another question in my mind as I was preparing, is thinking, has she heard Jesus speak? Has she been in the temple courts and seen Peter stood alongside Jesus and that's where she recognised him from? Had she heard Jesus preach? Was she actually hoping Peter would stand up for Jesus? Was she inquiring from a spiritual point of view? Probably not. I doubt it. The, the, the scripture suggests she was, it was more of an accusatory tone. But figuratively, Peter had enslaved, him, enslaved himself to this oath to Jesus, which he now cannot keep. He's made himself, if you like, a slave to sin by cozying up to that fireplace in the enemy's camp, the camp of the high priest. He's compromised himself, and he's opened himself up to scrutiny. Verse 68, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. The footnote in your Bible will tell you in some texts that this was the first time the cock crowed. Did he notice? How many of you, maybe some of you South Africans, are familiar with the sound of a cockerel? Those who are living in Bracknell and villages, the Binfield maybe. It's not something you hear very common in our streets. But if you live in, in Africa, or um, it can be a very annoying sound. Um, my mother and stepfather lived in the Caribbean for many, many years, and there was often where they were in St. Kitts, the sound of a cockerel. Four o'clock in the morning, it would start up. Most annoying sound. It's hard to ignore. I don't know or understand, he says, what you're talking about. Ding, the first target falls. Then he goes out, retreating from the inner courtyard, if you like. Afraid of being found out, maybe? Taken to task, afraid of being arrested? He retreats from the fireplace to the gate, afraid, but not running, anxious and concerned, but still not standing up for Jesus. Verse 69 goes on. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. Ding, the second target falls. After a little while, those standing near to Peter said, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now, others have noticed Peter as well. Matthew's Gospel tells us that it was by his accent they recognised him as a Galilean. He's given himself away by speaking. So he's conversing with them. He's discussing things with the guards, the enemy's guards. What kind of conversation was he having? Were they just discussing the weather, talking about all the activities and things that have been going on that week? Again, Matthew Henry describes it as banter. That's a word that young people use a lot nowadays. But this was no joke or wind-up. 
Ah, oh, you have a northern accent like that Jesus. You must know him. You sound like you come from Galilee. So while Jesus is being abused upstairs in the high priest's house, the apostle is being abused in the gateway. Does he now stand up to Jesus? No, indeed not. Verse 71, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I do not know this man you're talking about. So now, rather than honouring the oath he gave to Jesus a few hours before, back in verse 31, he now calls down curses on himself, which is like swearing an oath. He swears by it. I don't know this man you're talking about. Ding. The last target falls in the shooting gallery. The devil takes his reward. We should be very cautious, really, about making oaths, about making promises and commitments that we can't meet, or even if we doubt that we might be able to meet. Verse 72. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. And he broke down and wept. So here is the second lesson for us. Do we weep for our sin? Do we weep for our faint-heartedness, for our soft faith? Do we know true remorse? Do we feel the weight of our sin upon us, our denial? We may not actually deny Jesus to someone, but If we're going off in sin, following our own way, doing our own thing, living our own life and ignoring him, maybe not even thinking about him for hours of the day while we're doing what we want to do, then we are, in fact, in denial. And do we feel the weight of denial on us? Do we weep for our failings? I'm not sure that I do enough. Luke's gospel account of this episode says that Jesus turned and looked at him probably from an upper window where he was. I can't imagine how that was. He turned and looked at him. But Peter then went out of the gateway and wept bitterly, bitterly. Lord, show me my sin and convict me of it. We need to know the danger we're in. We need that look from Jesus, that look that convicts us. Like I said, we might have had that look years ago when we were first converted and we were on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we need that look again to convict us of our sin. If we're sleepwalking in our faith, (coughs) are we sleepwalking to the grave, towards judgment day? And when we reach that court in heaven, will we be considered sheep or goats? That's a worry, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 to 24, Jesus said of that day, when judgment day comes and when we're brought before the courts in heaven, he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Peter went out weeping bitterly. On this gloomy note, we leave our passage today. But that, of course, is not the end of the story. So my second heading is repentance, restoration, redemption. 
So we know that on the third day, Jesus rose, of course. Peter heard from the women that they had seen Jesus at the tomb. And maps that hope was kind of restored, rekindled. So what does Peter do? He jumps up and he runs out. He runs down to the tomb. And then when Jesus saw, when Peter saw Jesus that evening as they were gathered again in that upper room, Peter was able to, to join with the other disciples and rejoice that Jesus had appeared among them. They were lost in awe, wonder, amazement. He just appeared in this locked room and they could see his scars. What a revelation. But it was later, many, many days later, on that shore in Galilee, that Jesus and Peter were able to look back and discuss this event on this night where Peter disowned Jesus. Remember from that first reading that Mark gave us earlier, back in verse 28, it's, it's almost overlooked. Jesus said, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. The disciples, I think, had forgotten about that. So turn me with, with me in your Bibles, if you can, to John chapter 21. Turn in, we're going to have a look at this passage towards the end of John. John chapter 21, reading from verse 15. If you've got the Blue Church Bible, it's on page 1090. We're going to look at this little passage. There's a whole separate sermon on this passage, really, but we're just going to have a look at it briefly, because it's important that we see how Peter is restored. So this is after the miraculous catch of fish, by which the apostles had recognised the stranger stood on the beach, on the shore. They recognised from the miraculous catch of fish, that was Jesus. And Peter, again, classic Peter, he launches himself off the boat and he swims to shore. For some reason he takes his cloak with him, I think that'd be hindering me swimming, some big long baggy cloth, but he just launches himself off the boat. It reminds me a little bit of the film Forrest Gump. I don't know how many of you have seen Forrest Gump. It's a bit of an old classic. So Forrest Gump is bringing his shrimp boat into harbour. He's the only one on his boat. He's steering it in. And he looks around and he sees, he recognises on the shore, on the jetty, his old friend, Lieutenant Dang, in his wheelchair, sitting there, smiling at Forrest Gump. What does he do? He abandons the wheel. He just turns and he leaps off the boat and swims to the jetty. He forgets everything. He just leaps off the boat like Peter. He forgets that he's steering it, that it costs money. He's got, I don't know what, ever responsibility. He just jumps over the side and he swims to meet his old friend. There's a brief conversation and a few seconds later there's a crash as the boat smashes into the dock, the splintering of wood. But would you jump over the side for Jesus? Forgetting what you were doing, what is behind you, what is around you, forgetting, just leaping off the boat. Would you jump over the side for Jesus when you recognise him, striving towards that goal, towards Jesus, leaving behind everything? I think at that point, Peter saw the Lord Jesus and he's rejoicing. It's the Lord, it's my opportunity to be forgiven, to be restored. And he just went, he leapt over the side and he swam to Jesus. And it's another little lesson for us. When we realise how much we've been forgiven in life, how much our sin is, are we prepared to abandon our nets and our friends and our boats and swim to Jesus, to jump over the side? Are we prepared to jump for Jesus? So let's read this passage where we see Jesus reinstated in verse 15 here. 
after the miraculous catch of fish. When they, had, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He may have been referring to the boat, the nets, his friends. He may have been referring to loving Jesus more than they love him. It's hard to know, but Peter replies, Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me, follow me. It's quite heartbreaking to read this conversation. It's a very personal conversation, isn't it, between two people. It's such a tender moment between two friends, two men, but also between a sinner and his saviour between a man and his God. Just as the sun's rising there over the shore of the Lake Galilee, having a little bit of breakfast, the smell of cooking fish lingering in the air. Such a tender, personal moment. But you can really hear the remorse in Peter's words. You can hear his confession. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And I'm sure there are many of us here who feel the same. You know, we know we are trying to do the right thing as a Christian. We're trying to lead the best life we can. But we let him down. We let Jesus down. We know that we're tempted into sin and we struggle to resist and we give in sometimes and we curse ourselves for our failures when we look back at what we've done again and again and we find ourselves repenting again and again. <coughs> it reminds me of that song, that Matt Redman song, once again, I come before the cross where you died. Again, we come back to the cross. Say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a failure. But the Lord knows all things. He knows your heart. He knows if you truly love him. With bitter tears, Peter wept the weep of the repentance. Three times he denied Jesus. Three times Peter is now restored by Jesus with a new command. His three declarations of love, if you like, counter those three denials. And here is another challenge to us. Peter denied three times and he was restored three times. He denied three times, he repented three times. But do we repent in the same proportion to our sin? Do we repent to the same proportion as our sin? And Jesus showed picture, just a picture of his life. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. And that's true of us when we're non-Christians. We do what we like. But when you are old, 
You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And we want to be dressed. We want to be dressed by Jesus. We want to be dressed in the robes of righteousness. We want to be led by the Lord Jesus to where we may not want to go. Those places of discomfort, of persecution, possible trial, maybe accusation or slander. Peter had a life of service still ahead of him when he had this conversation on the shore there with Jesus. This fisherman, this bad-tempered, strong-headed denier would go on to be one of the most famous men in history. The Spirit would come on him in power and he would declare the gospel like Jesus did. He would, too would be beaten, persecuted and eventually executed for his faith. What a wonderful example to us. How far he'd fallen, but how great he became. What plans does the Lord have for you? Jesus is telling Peter here on the shore, you've got a lot of work to do yet for me, and you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. What work does the Lord have for you? What suffering are you going to have to face? And what is your end going to be like? It's going to be hard. This is the Peter who stood up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and he declared fearlessly the gospel to the people in broad daylight. He's no longer skulking by the fire in the doorway and denying he knew Jesus. He stood there, up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the city was crowded with people and he declared the gospel and he said in Acts 2 verse 38 verse 38 repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off that includes us in this far off land and centuries later all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. And he's calling you. He calls all of us, even today. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them. This is Peter again. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Peter knew what he'd been saved from. He knew the depths of his sin. He knew what salvation felt like. This is the same Peter who wrote those two letters in the New Testament. Just take an example here from 1 Peter 1, verse 17. He says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We need to have a proper fear of the Lord. Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's the blood we've been celebrating this morning. A lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times, and we're still living in these last times, for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. What can the Lord make of your life if you're willing to submit? What can you do? It's not all going to be plain sailing as a Christian, trying to walk the walk. We know persecutions and trouble and strife will come. But you know what? Life as a non-Christian is not plain sailing. They will also suffer and they will all go to the same end. So make it a good one. Make it a life following the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Make it a good life and a good end. So one day, as you stand before him in those heavenly courts, you can stand up without shame, knowing that you ran a good race. You fought the good fight to the end. Therefore, my brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So to sum up, we can learn a few lessons from Peter, can't we? Faulty and difficult and troublesome though he is, we can learn some lessons for him. Number one, Lord, please renew our faith. Renew my faith. Relight that fire. Set my heart on fire for Jesus again to make a stand and not be afraid. A second lesson we can learn. We need to weep for our sin. We need to know the depth of our depravity, of our sin. We need to pray for forgiveness and really pray. And the third lesson, be prepared in good times and in bad to jump for Jesus, to stand up, to run to him, to abandon whatever we're doing and to make a stand for Jesus because one day we will join him in heaven. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.